0: Would you take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians? This will give us some perspective on how to kiss the sun. I'm sure. Early detection saves lives. For decades, healthcare professionals have been echoing that statement. They've been exhorting us to take whatever measures we can do as individuals... To examine our physical health so that we can shortcut death. This morning, we're going to be challenged by God's Word to examine ourselves in a different way. To challenge our souls. As important as our physical health is, it pales in comparison to the importance of our souls. These physical bodies are wasting away. They will die without exception. Like water spilled on the ground, so every man must die is what the Bible teaches us. And we don't even need the Bible to teach us. Human nature teaches us that. But the soul will live forever. And today, we're going to be challenged to examine our souls. There's no more appropriate time to do that than when we are coming to observe the Lord's table. So let's look at verse five of 2 Corinthians 13. This is part of God's diagnostic toolkit that he uses to examine us, and we are wise to take what he says and take a careful examination of our own spiritual lives. The New American Standard Bible translates 2 Corinthians 13:5 as follows: Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? There are four questions that I'm going to ask this text of Scripture. Really, we're asking the Lord because the Bible is God's Word. He's speaking to us today just as surely as He spoke to the Corinthian church through the Apostle Paul when they first opened this letter and read it. And what we're seeking answers to, first of all, is who is to examine himself or herself? Well, the answer is rather obvious, isn't it? You. Or to examine yourself. I am to examine myself. There's a tendency which we have to examine other people rather than to examine ourselves. Jesus gives us clear instruction about that in a parable that is contained in Matthew chapter 13. So if you'll turn to Matthew 13 while keeping your place in 2nd. Corinthians 13, and we're going to begin with verse 24 of Matthew 13. Jesus says in Matthew thirteen twenty-four, "...the kingdom of heaven may com- be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat." And went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then if you'll glance down to verse 36. Verse 36. When in private, Jesus explains this parable in detail to his disciples in private. Verse 36, Then he left the multitudes and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. We know that's Jesus. He's speaking of himself. He's the one who sows the good seed. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. Now let me pause just a moment. We're not familiar with the word tare, but those who first heard this were very familiar with what a tare was. A tare is a weed which grows up in the midst of the wheat, and until the time that the wheat begins to show forth fruit, you can't tell the difference between wheat and tares. At that moment, you can tell the difference. Jesus is telling us in this parable that the Son of Man, meaning Himself in verse 41, will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks, that would be tares, and those who commit lawlessness, that also would be tares, and will cast the tares into the furnace of fire in that place. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, In the kingdom of their Father, he who has ears, let him hear. So what Jesus says about this matter of who you and who I am to examine or test to see if that person is in the faith, it's not those other than ourselves. We are to examine ourselves. That's what Jesus says. And Paul reiterates that in the passage we're considering today. So who are you to examine today? You're to examine yourself. And you're not to use the measuring stick of yourself. Because the Word of God tells us in the book of Second Corinthians, if we compare ourselves with ourselves, we are fools, is what it says. There is a different measuring stick which the Lord will use, and we'll get to that, when we ask the question, how, we are to examine ourselves a little later. The second question is, when are we to examine ourselves? And the answer is in this verse that we're looking at, in 2 Corinthians 13. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Paul uses two words which are synonymous for this matter of our self-examination. And the way that he uses them, they're Present tense commands, meaning we are to not simply make a one-time assessment of our spiritual condition, but we are to periodically examine ourselves. Now, a word of warning here. It is not healthy for you or for me to spend all our time examining ourselves. This is one of the ways the devil leads us into behavior that's incompatible with a son or daughter of God. But there are times, and these times are like the time we have when we come before the Lord to examine ourselves in preparation for his table. We are to over and over again test ourselves and examine ourselves to see if indeed we are in the faith. That's why we examine ourselves. You examine yourself, I examine myself. We examine ourselves not one time, but multiple times in the course of our lives. And the purpose for this is to see whether we genuinely are in the faith. Are we really children of God? Is Christ really in us, as you go on to see in the last part of verse 5, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. So now, let us turn our attention in the remaining moments to see what diagnostic tools God has given us for examining ourselves. Five tools I'm going to share with you today from God's Word four of which are found in the book of 1 John, and the last one, which we will examine together, is found in the book of Hebrews. So, turn, please, to the book of 1 John. We're going to begin with the first test, and that is the test of trust. Ask yourself as we work our way through 1 John five eleven through 13, do I pass Pass the trust test so let's begin in 1 john 5:11 and the witness is this that god has given us eternal life now pay careful attention how did you get eternal life if you have eternal life it was given to you you cannot earn it you cannot deserve it you can try with all your religious might To make yourself right with God. But every effort, no matter how serious it is, will find you falling short. This is the witness that God has given us eternal life. Paul writes it this way in the book of Romans, chapter 6. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are given this gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God lest any man should boast. So, we have been given eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Of course, that speaks of Jesus. He who has the Son has the life. The New American Standard gets it right here compared to some of the other translations that you have read or may be reading today. He who has a son has the life. There are all kinds of offers of false life. The world is full of deceit at this point for good reason. It's because in the book of 1 John chapter 5, if you want to take a look at verse 19... We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power or under the control of the evil one. Who is in charge of the world? It's not talking about the globe upon which we walk. It's not talking about the creative universe. It's talking about the world system. Who is the ruler of this world? Satan. And what do we know about him? Among other things... He is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He tries to tell us these things that are characteristic of the world, that's where real life is to be found. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The boastful pride of life. But the Word of God says that's just not true. Real life is found in the Son. He or she has the Son, he or she has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Isn't it pretty clear? There's no murkiness about this at all. This is as plain as the nose on my face and yours. We either have Jesus or we don't have Jesus. If we have Jesus, we pass the trust test. If we don't have Jesus... We're still floundering around trying to figure it out. Well, look at verse 13. John writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. When he writes this concluding part of 1 John, he's not simply talking about verses 11 and 12, the trust test, but he's talking about some other tests which we're going to look at. Three more that we find in the book of 1 John, but this is the beginning point, really, for everything else. It's the umbrella. The trust test is the umbrella under which all the other tests fall. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. I can't tell you how many people over the course of the last 45 years as I have had a certain degree of earnestness about sharing the gospel with people. And I asked them this simple question, Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? I've had so many people in response say, I didn't know you could know for sure. And then I take them to this verse, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, the Lord wants you to know. He does not want you to muddle through life looking for what you think is life and maybe finding what you think is life only to discover that that expression of life leaves you empty because it's not Christ in you that you're experiencing. And by the way, Jesus says about Himself, I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life we can know. How about you? How do you do with the trust test? When this word believe is used in verse 13, John uses it the same way in his gospel. It means movement toward and total trust in another person, total surrender to that person. So here's the first test that you and I have been given access to this morning, we can take this trust test and evaluate our lives accordingly. The second test is found in 1 John chapter 3. If you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, this is what might be described as the behavior test. The trust test, now the behavior test. Look at verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now allow me to do my own translation or interpretation of this verse. Listen carefully. Follow along again as I read this along with you. No one who is born of God and cannot be unborn of God practices sin, because his seed, Jesus Christ's Spirit, abides in him. And he cannot live a lifestyle of sin because he is born of God and will not be unborn of God. Here's the key for understanding. The behavior test is one which shows that we cannot, after being born of God, live a life that ignores the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Lord. And do not do what I say. It is a total contradiction for me as one who has the name Lord Jesus on my lips to live a life that does not in any way signify a heart that at least wants to be obedient to the Lord. Now remember, we're not made right with God by a certain kind of behavior. We are made right with God by His giving us the gift of eternal life. But once that gift is received in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus enters into our lives and lives in our lives by His Spirit. Listen to what God had promised through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 27. He says, I will put my Spirit in you, my seed, and He will move you to be careful to do everything written in the Word of God. He will move you to be obedient. Now, this moving of the Spirit in our lives is something that has a beginning point. That's when we trust in Jesus Christ alone and we not simply acknowledge Him as Lord, but we submit ourselves in our wills to His Lordship and seek to follow Him. And the result is... We begin a journey that's a lifelong journey of progression, moving toward deeper dependence and more Christ-likeness as we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. So, the Spirit of God lives in us, and His presence in us ensures that we're going to keep going forward. We're going to be moving in the right direction. There's probably no one present who has trusted in Christ. Let me just go ahead and correct myself. There is no one present here today who has trusted in Jesus for your eternal life who has been perfect since you trusted Him. Anybody want to say, I'm perfect? (laughs) We're not, are we? But here's what you... If you don't know, need to understand. When you trust Christ, He gives you the power not to sin. I've heard people say, I just can't help myself. Well, you're right about that. You can't help yourself. But Christ's presence by the Spirit of God in your life will give you the power not to sin. You don't have to sin. Quit buying the lie of the devil. If he can't get you not to trust in the Lord, what He will try to fool you into thinking is, well, I'm just not going to be overcome, able to overcome my sinful behavior and sinful lifestyle. That is not characteristic of what the Scriptures teach. So it's not the truth. And we need to move on from there. When I sin, I can testify with David, the king of Israel and he is quoted in Psalm 38:19 I confess my iniquity big word for sin I confess my sin I am troubled by my sin Are you troubled by your sin When you sin does it really make you worried Well that's a good sign It's A secondary sign under this behavior sign. This test. It's a test. If you're not bothered by your sin, you don't know the Lord. I'll just say it. You're not a follower of Jesus. You may think you are, but you're not. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives causes us to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. He shakes us up on the inside. Thank God for that. Because He's protecting us from a lifestyle that's self-destructive. Thank God for the Holy Spirit living in us. So, the Bible says in the book of Romans 8 that the mindset on the Spirit is life. The mindset on the flesh, that's my selfishness, is death. He who lives according to the Spirit is a person who exhibits the mind of the Spirit. And he who lives, or she who lives, in dependence upon the flesh is has that kind of lifestyle. But later in Romans 8.15, this is beautiful, is what Paul writes. He says, He who is led by the Spirit is a son or daughter of God. Are you led by the Spirit? Is it evident in the fact that you are moving more and more in the direction of being obedient to the Lord? So, we've looked at two tests so far. The trust test. And the behavior test. Here's the third test. It's the love test. Let's look up 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Let's see what John writes here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, let us keep on loving one another, is what it actually says, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He uses this phrase, born of God again. Born of God can't not be unborn. That sounds like double talk, but it's not. Once you're born of God, it's forever. Remember, it's eternal life that we have in Jesus. It's not part-time life. It's not simply full-time life. It's even greater than time. It's eternal life that we have in Jesus because of who He is and the way in which we relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know God. That is eternal life, by the way. Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. That is eternal life. And then look at verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. If I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ, then I fail the test. I fail the test. Power of the Spirit is not in me, not working through me. Now, here again, let me be very frank. There, sometimes I don't love, and I'm not going to call any names because I don't. <laughs> sometimes I don't love some of you, probably, like I. <laughs> and I'm not proud of that. It's it's a failure on my part because I'm to love all the time. Keep on loving one another. There's never a situation in which I find myself with a brother or sister in Christ that I can say, I just can't take her anymore. I can't stand him anymore. Never. It's unacceptable. But sometimes I get off the reservation. I get off the rails. And I will become selfish in my heart. Father, forgive me. And I become convicted of it. And I am troubled by it. Sometimes it takes longer than other times for me to settle that in my own heart. But nevertheless, the Lord brings us back, doesn't He? Because He's in us. And we don't know Him if we don't love one another. Now, let's look at a specific example of this. that's given to us in chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. John writes, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. I can't resist stopping here and looking at this one word that's translated by four words in English. We know that we have passed out of. The word have passed out of translates one word. And it's a word which means... That we pass out of a state of spiritual death into a state of spiritual life and it's irreversible. Do you know what I mean? The gifts of calling, gifts and calling of God are irreversible. What God does stands forever. And God is the one who gives us eternal life. And we know that we have made this transition. From a state of spiritual death and danger into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. This is the test. He who does not love abides in death. One of the things I really appreciate about John's writing. It's so clear, isn't it? He doesn't leave anything to the imagination. You either have Jesus Or you don't have Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. You either have passed out of death or into life. If you're still in death, you don't know God. You don't have eternal life. If you are in Christ, you love the brothers. Verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he, speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. I mentioned earlier where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. We can have a verbal witness. We can talk about the Lord till we're blue in the face. But if the Lordship of Christ is in my life and in your life, His seed is in us and we will be different. We will love one another not simply by paying lip service. We will love each other indeed. We'll see a brother or sister in need, and we will respond in kind to that person, ministering to the person. Verse 19, we shall know by this, now he's shifting gears a moment. He's talking about our response of love in a practical way to people who are hurting and have a need which we can If we do that, if we are drawn to people, if it's something that just comes to us and we are inclined to that. And sometimes if we have a reluctance, we overcome our reluctance and we minister to people who are in need. We don't jump to conclusions about why they're in such need. We don't condemn them with our thoughts. We don't have things running through our minds like, she made her bed, let her lie in it. If he just get a job, he wouldn't have this trouble. There's nothing of that in this text. The commitment is already set in our hearts when we commit ourselves to Christ. And Jesus moves in us and moves us toward people. He says, we know by that kind of response of practical expression of love, that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before Him in whatever our heart condemns us. Okay, follow me here. Some of you feel like, you know, I think I passed the trust test. I believe I passed the behavior test. And I'm still not sure that I have eternal life. Do you know, even though Christ has been set apart as Lord in our hearts, there's still an aspect of our heart that condemns us. There's a part of our heart that still has the element of deceit in it. And when our heart condemns us and our heart says, hey, you're not a child of God, then this response which God offers us often if we just have eyes to see and ears to hear when a brother or sister is in need, and our natural response is to reach out to him or her and share what we have with him or her to alleviate that person's need. That's evidence that we are men and women in whom Christ lives And therefore, we are men and women who are born of God and who have passed from death into life. So, we've looked at the trust test. We've looked at the behavior test. Now, the love test. How do you do with the love test? Let's look at a first test, fourth test, rather. And I'm going to describe this as the endurance test. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. The Word of God says, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. When he says, now many Antichrists have arisen, he's saying they have come on the scene and they're here to stay. That's exactly what he's saying. It was true in John's day, he found himself in the church in the last hour. When we think of Antichrist, if you're like me, I think about what the Scripture talks about. What it says: there's coming a figure at the end of time as we know it. He is Antichrist. He will appear at a time of great chaos in the world. Is there chaos in your world? There's chaos, isn't there? Not just in the U.S. All over the world. There's not a place on earth that there's not huge chaos. And so the stage is set for Antichrist. I don't know when he's coming. I don't have any idea. But he is coming embodied in one figure. But until that time, many Antichrists have gone out. They were in the church evidently and they left. Look at what he says in verse 19. They went out from us. But they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. So, people who leave the church, we can't call them antichrist, that's not our deal. But have you ever known people who left the church Who at one time had what appeared to be a strong testimony of how Christ saved them, and they were able to give the gospel in a clear way, and now they say that was all a bunch of hogwash. It was not true, and they have completely rejected the Lord. Have you ever heard of people? Maybe some of you know a person like that. Well, they failed the endurance test, they went out from the church they went away from Jesus they became antichrist in their attitude toward Christ Jesus says in Matthew 24:13 and again in Mark 13 he says the same thing those who endure to the end will be saved does that mean that you and I have to hold on for dear life for fear that we won't persevere we will not endure to the end now we should be serious about our endurance And we should trust in the Lord. We should understand when trouble comes. This is why Paul writes in the book of Romans 5, he says, We will exult in our tribulations. That's troubles. In other words, we're going to praise God for trouble. We exult in our tribulation. You know what happens to most people who claim to be followers of Christ when they have trouble? They become antichrists. They begin to accuse the Lord of not caring or not loving are not being powerful enough to take care of them. But the proper response is to exult in Him. Because when we exult in our tribulations, what happens? That produces endurance. And endurance produces Proven character. And proven character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We need to understand that when trouble comes, we are to remember that our God is a sovereign God And He is going to walk us through whatever trouble we're facing and bring us through and use it to confound the devil, to expose the devil for who he really is, and to bring honor and glory to himself. And it will be in the long run for our own good. So, what about the endurance test? Do you pass that one? Are you waffling in your dependence upon the Lord? The person who endures to the end is the person who shows that that faith that he or she exercised when she or he trusted in Christ was real. And it results in endurance. Now let's look at the last test. We've had four so far. What are they? The trust test, the behavior test, the love test, and the endurance test. Here's the fifth one. It's what I would describe as the discipline test. It's found in Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 8. The Scripture says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers. Now, I can't help myself. I've got to stop here again. Excuse me. The word translated, have become partakers, have become All who have become partakers are those who are disciplined. And the word have become, here again, it's that word which means it happened and it will never be changed. You will always be a partaker of eternal life. If you are disciplined by God, it's an indication you are a child of God. Have you ever thought of that? We typically don't like it when the Lord disciplines us. I didn't particularly like it. I don't ever remember backing up for a spanking when I was a boy. I got my share of them because I needed them. But my parents loved me enough to discipline me in a godly way. God the Father shows His love to us by disciplining us. Why do you, or did you as a parent, discipline your child or your children? If you discipline them because you were mad at them, it was wrong. But if you discipline them because you love them, God's not mad at us as his children. He loves us. But because he loves us, he knows it's imperative that he discipline us to keep us from going down a pathway that will be destructive for us. So he disciplines us. Jesus disciplines us. He says, those whom I love, I discipline It's what he says in Revelation 3.19. So, one of the tests that proves that I'm a child of God is, I get disciplined. We need it. The Lord knows it. And it's an indication that we are his sons and daughters. So, here are the tests. There are five, right? Trust test, behavior test, love test, endurance test, discipline test. Now, let's say you pass all the tests. I know most of you do. Thank God. Thank God. Do you have anything to boast about? You have nothing to boast about. You're to boast in the Lord because He's the one who empowers us to pass the test. And look at 1 John 5.18. Go back for a last look at the book of 1 John 5.18. We know that no one who is born of God sins. It's the idea of has a habit or a lifestyle of sin. But he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Who, who is born of God? Jesus. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He is the one who keeps us. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me also has put his hand around them, and no one will take them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So how about you today? Do you pass the test? Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? It begins with the trust test and results in these other tests being passed as well. Would you bow your head as our men come to prepare to serve the Lord's Supper? Just ask the Lord, Lord, search me and know me. Lord, help me not to be afraid, to be honest with you. And then help me, Lord, to give my life to you. Help me to be more than just someone who talks a talk, but one who really has the power to walk the walk because you are in me. Oh, Lord, take over my life. Forgive me of my independence, stubbornness, selfishness. Come and live in me, Lord, and change me for your sake. Amen.